Chairman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, good morning to you. Scott, how are you doing today? It's a splendid day. I'm up and I'm breathing and I'm walking. I'm feeling good. You know, most people who listen know this, but if, uh, if on our... Uh, podcast network you you might want we we want to tell our listeners about how to listen to us after we air on the radio but for our listeners not not in missoula the dirty little secret about missoula is september and october perhaps are the best months here yeah it's crisp in the morning it's beautiful during the day you can still play golf or fish or climb or hike and uh you know it's it's actually my favorite time of the year in in montana is the september october agreed Agreed. How do do our listeners listen to the show afterwards? So, Arnie, our app, our uh, app at um, newstalkkgvo.com, you can download our app for iPhone and for Android. And the app now captures our broadcast and makes it a podcast the day after. So this is airing on Sunday, starting Monday evening. Tuesday morning, the podcast will be available. So they just go to what they just click on. What do you know? And they can see the uh, the list they, of podcasts. Right. They click the listen live on the podcast on the website or on the app, and then they can access our uh, podcast. They can also access the podcast through the um, Apple Podcasting Network as well. Just look oh, up. What do you know? That's great. So today we have one of our favorite guests back with us. We have Dave Glazer, who's the president of MoFi which is a, uh, a specialty uh, lender, and it lends to uh, uh, businesses that are nearly bankable, but not quite for whatever reason. Lots of, you know, there's ebbs and flows in, in the life cycle of businesses, and sometimes right. they're not eligible for, uh, for a, a bank loan. They can't meet the requirements at a particular point in time. They also provide uh, uh, mortgages for uh, people, again, who, uh, who may not be able to get a mortgage from a normal bank. But we're talking today particularly about their involvement and implementation of uh, CARES Act funding during this COVID pandemic. They've had hundreds of, uh, have given hundreds of loans during this time. And I'm really anxious to learn about what their experience has been over these last, uh, you know, April, May, June, July, over these last five months of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, like we've said, it's a brand new world, and how has MoFi adapted and actually probably accelerated a lot of the work that they were doing in in this in this kind of uncertain time? Right. And what kind of businesses are are they lending to? What their experience has been, and uh, and what the future may be like. Um, It'll be know, a great conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, fantastic. When we come back, our guest will be Dave Glazer, president of MoFi. Back after this. Joe, once again. I feel like I'm coming back to old friends. It's good to see you. Well, good. Good. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with MoFi, MoFi's been around in one form or another, in one iteration or another, since 1986. So can you just share a little bit of the genesis of of how it started as a a program under a woman's organization and now – you know, some 34 years later is MoFi. 
Yeah, it started in 1986 and it was started, uh, this is an interesting bit of history, by a grant from Ms. Magazine. And um, it originally, its mission was to help women entrepreneurs start businesses and run successful businesses. And many, many, many years later now, we um, have morphed into a lender and we provide loans to nearly bankable businesses. We help people in Montana buy homes with down payment assistance and we finance catalytic economic development projects using new market tax credits. So what are nearly qualified lenders? I mean, excuse me, borrowers. Borrowers who are nearly bankable are, would be a business that might be short on collateral, light on equity, maybe their debt service coverage um, is lower than what a bank needs, could be a startup. Nowadays with COVID, it could be a protected industry, uh, an industry of caution, like a restaurant, for example. So lots of reasons, you know, businesses fall in and out of bankability all the time. It's not, um, not a bad thing to not be bankable. And are the referring sources for those businesses banks themselves? Yeah. Um, in fact, about 90% of the loans that we close to businesses come from a bank referral. And so we make it our job to know every lender commercial and small business in the entire Northern Rockies, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, Eastern Oregon, and Eastern Washington. And we're not talking about small sums of money. How much money did you end up be, being involved in facilitating in terms of loans and other things in uh, last year? In 2019, it was just over $80 million. And that's a growing number, right? You expect to lend more this year? Uh, it, it's a, it fluctuates a little bit, Arnie. Um, it has definitely grown over the last decade. Back in 2010, it was probably around 25 million or so. So it's so, definitely going up. So you're sitting around in January, February, you know, planning for, you know, MoFi's year and the COVID pandemic hits. And at the end of March, the CARES Act gets implemented and $2.2 trillion of resources become available in various forms. You wouldn't be involved in all of those activities because some of them were, uh, you know, one-time payments to individuals that came directly from Internal Revenue Service. But what what have you been involved with related to the CARES Act? Yeah, there was plenty in the CARES Act to support small business because we saw a small business take the brunt of mm -hmm. this and when, when the economy was shut down. So uh, MoFi jumped in initially to help all of our business borrowers understand the CARES Act and things that they could use, whether it be the SBA's products, the EIDL, Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Um, MoFi itself then leapt in to become a lender of the Paycheck Protection Program loans. And um, over a period of about five months, lent PPP loans to 1,300 businesses across five states. And so we've been busy. How'd you get up to speed on knowing how to do that? I mean, it came out of nowhere, right? I mean, one day, you know, March 26th, you're running a normal operation. March 27th, you all of a sudden have all of these, you know, I think my town got $1.25 billion to the state. I mean, all these things were happening simultaneously. How'd you get up to speed? Um, staying up late and reading a lot. Um, you know, we were an SBA lender pre-COVID. So we, we knew the SBA, the SBA knew us, but 
MoFi and every bank and every business owner in the country, we were put in this position where we're like, we need to act, we need to act now and understand what's going on. So we just um, spent a lot of time doing research and we made our first PPP loan. It was actually to a business in Boise, Idaho, the Monday after the PPP program was launched. So basically 24, hour, 24 business hours later, we made our first PPP loan. And as we sit right now, beginning of September, is there still money to loan? So the PPP program sunsetted on August 8th, and um, Congress is in the midst of negotiating additional capital for the, the first round of PPP, um, as well as forgiveness and some other things. Um, but they're also negotiating a second round of PPP for businesses that continue to be harmed economically. So we'll see if that comes to pass. You know, we'll know one way or the other, I suspect, by the latest mid-October. There are some other programs that are still out there, including the EIDL, but um, MOFI launched an SBA COVID-related program two weeks ago, a loan program called CARL, the Community Advantage Relief Loan. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we've had 130 businesses apply for that in two weeks. And what are the requirements under the CARL program? So the, the CARL loan is meant for existing businesses that um, need capital, whether it be for you know equipment or uh, operating capital, whatever it is. And um, the loan has no payments for the first six months. So it gives that business some time through the fall and winter to get their feet under them and get back to business. And, and, then, and, ahead, and, then, and then what kind of interest rates or what kind of repayment plan? So yeah, so the CARL loan is meant for businesses that can't get their capital to bank. So we price our loan slightly higher than bank. And um, with the idea that they'll eventually go back to the bank and not need us anymore. So our loans are priced higher. The CARL loan is up to 9% APR um, and no origination fee. And what kind of, so what other categories of business are really taking advantage of the CARL? Well, uh, our very first, we, we've already closed a loan um, using that program, and it was to a business here in Missoula. And um, it's an aesthetic, uh, medical aesthetics business. So the, that business was expanding and needed to expand and couldn't get the capital from a bank, and they were put in touch with us. And uh, we got them the money they needed to expand their space because their customers mm -hmm. have been coming in the door. They, they want the service and right. they needed more room. You know, people sitting at home looking in the mirror all day long saying, I could be prettier. <laughs> I, need, I need my eye, my eyes puffed up a little bit or my lips puffed up a little bit. You it never is, need that, do you, Arnie? No, no, I don't need any of that. But, but um, you know, it is surprising what industries and businesses have um, – you know, taken off or have exploded to some extent, right. um, you know, during the COVID uh, pandemic, you can't find a bicycle repairman, for example, you know, so many people, you know, can't find a bicycle, you know, a new bicycle, let alone a repair person. And, you know, that was not the case, you know, in February or, or, or beforehand. And, uh, you know, other companies, we were, t we were, we're on Zoom. Zoom reported more revenue this last quarter than all last year. That's something they didn't expect. Somebody would have walked in and said, we're going to quadruple our income this year. There would have been very, you know, skeptical response to that. But they did that in the first quarter. So lots of, you know, lots of things are. 
And, and does that affect how you make loan decisions? If there's a business that maybe was not doing well and it wasn't bankable, but they have a product or service that fits into this, you know, new normal? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Underwriting startups right now is very, very difficult. Because, and I'll give you a specific example. We had a company come to us that manufactures respirators. And, you know, for a while there, respirators were in high demand. Right. But we cannot predict with any reliability if they're going to need to have respirators in six months. And so even if it is a business that seems like, hey, this should be perfect for startup capital, it, it it's just hard to predict right now what's going to happen in the world. Yeah. I mean, we've... We've seen in Missoula, for example, you know, uh, Nick Chicota, who's been a guest on our show many times, has pulled out of the Wave project and the Old Fox Theater project. And I'm sure six or eight months ago, when he laid out all of the possible barriers to growth for his company, this wasn't one of them. That all of a sudden, for two years, you wouldn't have any concerts or there wouldn't be. I mean, all of a sudden, his business doesn't exist anymore, basically. And... uh, uh, you know, it has been shocking for so many businesses to uh, engage in that. One of our previous guests, M- Michelle Yui, who runs Vim and Vigor Compression Hose Company, she was at 1,100 retail stores. That was, you know, majority of her business. All of a sudden, there's no retail anymore. So I guess you you have to be a little bit, MoFi has to be a little bit in the predicting business when someone comes in to say six months, nine months from now when the loan is due, you know, is this business a viable business at that point in time? Yeah, I mean, when you look at entrepreneurs, business owners, you can see quickly the people that are have the, the wherewithal and the capability of pivoting. Every single business in the entire world had to pivot. I don't care if it was because sales were going through the roof or because sales were going into the basement. You still had to pivot. And all of us have had to accommodate that change. I mean, how can you understate the fact that the rug was yanked out from every person on the planet? Yeah, it's, it's all just at the same amazing. time. Yeah, it's unbelievable. In in fifty years, the business cases that are going to be done on how the world reacted or didn't react to this, it, it's going to make for interesting reading. Um, and so, you know, when we're looking at the businesses we finance, it, it, we're spending a lot of time looking at their grit. Like, can they right. continue to pivot? Well, it's an interesting point you make because companies that were decisive quickly had a very good chance of, you know, rebounding or, or responding as opposed to companies that were, eh, I wasn't sure what to do. You know, the old classic, let's see what happens when the dust settles. Of course, dust never settles. And even countries, the countries that responded very quickly, you know, recovered faster. Unfortunately, the United States, because of a lack of a national strategy, we're still, you know, we're still banned for most countries in the world at the moment. Yeah, so, it, it, it is about acting quickly. What we saw in, across the businesses that we support so many businesses were on it. They were researching, they were getting in touch with the SBA, they were getting in touch with us, and we were giving them the information we could and um, or that we knew of at the time. And they were largely moving through thus far, uns- no, not unscathed, yeah. but still breathing. <laughs> yeah. You, like Scott and I, like to travel. I mean, you're an international traveler and you, you, know, you pursue... Uh, 
you know, vocational and avocational interest, you know, in the United States and abroad. When was the last time you were on a plane? Yeah, yeah I think about this all the time. I actually miss my friends at the Missoula airport. <laughs> yeah. I have lots of friends who work there. Um, yeah. Uh, because I do, I get on lots of planes. I have not been on a plane since I flew back to Missoula from Denver back in, I uh, like, like literally March 13th. And I know Scott, you, you haven't been on many trips. No, not last one was down to Salt Lake. Yeah. In March. February 17th for me. This, I, I, I calculated, this is the longest time I have not been on an airplane since I was 17 years old you know, which was wow. 100, 104 years ago. And uh, I mean, it, it's, it, and that has a profound effect on your life. If you really think about it, you're, you're able to be mobile, you need a vacation, you need a weekend getaway, you need to see a client, you, you know, you want to uh, research something, you want to visit colleagues that are more than a car's drive. You know, you're kind of uh, stuck with what we're doing right now, which is okay, but it, it doesn't have the tactile and, and the other sensory um uh, you know, variables and, and, and pieces to it that uh, what our life, our normal life was like before all of this. You know, I, it's so interesting because I think people initially when Zoom and Teams was the, the only way to communicate and to have a meeting were optimistically hopeful. They were hopeful and optimistic because they didn't know what, how long this would last. I think people now have fatigued a little on this. I think you hit it right on the head, Arnie. It's kind of, lo you've lost that tactile kind of being able to see somebody, look at them in the eyes, see their mouth and see really how they are reacting and uh, you know, what they really think. And a lot of it is body language. It's not just seeing their face. It's well, it's body language. And, you know, you go visit a co work colleague and you go out to lunch and over lunch, you talk about right. personal things. You know, when you're, when you're doing a zoom conference call, it's more, it's, it's much more formal. It's you know, you really, it is, but I, it, it actually, it speaks to something that Dave brought up earlier, which is a company that can pivot and let's say, can they move their whole business or, or a good portion of their business digitally, right? Can they move it to a digital presence? Um, I'm curious, Dave, what type of, uh, you know, kind of uh, flexibility, you know, foresight have you seen in, in partners that have come to you? Have they, have they been able to make that transformation successfully or strategized on it? Yeah, there are plenty of retail businesses that we, that are in our portfolio that have pivoted or are pivoting plenty of restaurants that have moved to largely takeout operations, plenty of restaurants that have moved to, um, you know, food truck operations. Or outdoor sitting, which will end in a month or two, but still yeah, now they have it. We have a restaurant client in Red Lodge, Montana. It gets real cold there pretty early. And mm -hmm. so they, you know, one of the things that they're doing is installing, um, temporary shelter, you know, like more permanent tents with heaters so they yeah. can extend their season. So yeah, lots of- A yurt. Yeah. Yeah, yurt. <laughs> and, and, you know, for MoFi, much of what we know comes from being in the communities that we lend to, to money to businesses. And it's really helpful to know a community, to know what makes that community tick. And we've had to turn and have 
almost all of our interaction, 99% of it, be on Zoom or on the phone. And interestingly enough, there's opportunity there for us there because as we grow and we're going to continue to grow, in fact, I think we're going to end up growing far faster than we used to because there'll be lots more nearly bankable businesses in the world from here forward for the next years. Um, we'll be able to scale ourselves in a way that we hadn't previously because the world has become more reliant on this communication rather than sure. the other. Have you, I'm sorry, I was, I was gonna say, have you, the businesses that are talking to you that are looking to kind of get your assistance, have they played on the, the, the aspect of the region has become more popular with outsiders, people moving from the coasts and coming here and, is that part of their calculus when they say, ah, here's why I see where we see growth happening? You know, I think they, they see that growth, but they don't, and none of us could count on it. Like we don't know if it's actually gonna be sustained over a long period of time. Lots more people, it's, it felt like we're here visiting this summer. I right. saw a lot more out of state plates, but who knows if that's gonna continue or if it's gonna be a more permanent growth. Um, strategy or uh, pattern for at least Western Montana. I can tell you in Boise, Idaho, it absolutely is something that is predictable and they can see in right. the future really robust growth. Uh, what categories are particularly seeing? Is this all across the board? Across the board because people who um, used to work in San Francisco don't need to live in San Francisco anymore. So why not live in Boise? Well, obviously, you're seeing that in Missoula and Bozeman as well, and a few other places where people are buying houses sight unseen. Yeah, which is you know hasn't happened before. Yeah, I'm I'm just curious. You know, now that you know you have an office in Boise, you have an office in Bozeman, you have an office in Missoula, you have people coming in. Now you're seeing more people digitally and interviewing them in these little rectangular boxes. Does that level the playing field to some extent? I mean, you know, it's they don't show up in the office with an entourage or they don't, you know, they're not pulling up in front in, you know, a van or, I mean, everybody's in a little rectangle and they're, you know, and they're all, uh, you know, it's face to face in that sort of way. Does that, does that change things at all? It doesn't, that, that is a, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, like leveling the playing field. Our whole job as a company is to level the playing field when it comes to access to capital. Mm-hmm. What it has done, so I don't think it has changed that, per, that um, customer experience, the people that come to us for financing. It's made it easier for them in the sense that, um, you know, pre-COVID, we met most of our clients on the phone or, you know, over video anyway. Right. But what it has done is it has made it far easier for more of those individuals to come to us because the rest of the world accepted the fact that you don't need to be in person to have a meaningful um, interaction. And, you know, because 90% of the people we help come to us from a bank, banks historically tend to be very in-person, face-to-face, like, when are you going to come meet this client, for example? Now they just very quickly will put them in touch with our website and online applications that we have for financing. So, so yes, it, it has kind of leveled the playing field. I mean, just well, good. Larger scale. Well, good. So the payroll. I want to. I want to uh, go back to the payroll protection program. It was. It was part of the CARES Act as a vehicle to help companies keep people from 
going on, on for firing employees, keeping people working. And if you if you applied and you were going to keep 50 people employed that otherwise might have left the company, and at the end of the time period, if they're still employed, the loan ostensibly is forgiven. If not, there is a repayment of the loan. And there have been already reported cases of, uh, you know, false or misleading documents being provided and, and in fraud in some cases. Obviously, the ones that are the most egregious get the most headlines, like the guy who went out and bought a Lamborghini with his PPP funds. What, what has MoFi's experience been? When you look at the 1,300 or so PPP loans we made, only less than 50 were larger than 150,000. Hmm. All the rest were really small companies with relatively small payrolls, and a, a, a pile of them were sole proprietors. And it's real easy to get forgiveness when you have a sole proprietor who's simply paying themselves payroll for the month. And so, you know, we, we did not run into anything like the Lamborghini at all. Um, we had a couple people apply for a PPP who it wasn't, it wasn't meant for what they wanted to use the money for, so they didn't get a PPP loan. Um, it was interesting to us because, you know, if you look at those 1,300 loans, we made 1,300 loans to small businesses in about five months. That's more than we had made to businesses in the last decade combined. Mm -hmm. So the interaction with so many more businesses and communities that we hadn't worked with, like Plentywood, Montana. Plentywood, Montana got word about MoFi and there were lots of people up there who were unable to get a PPP loan from a bank. And so they started reaching out to us and now we have this network of um, fans of MoFi that is, has turned out to be really helpful because they tell their friends and their neighbors, like, hey, there's a solution out there. And um, we're, tr we're trying to take that and, and build upon it. Yeah, and some of those people would never come your way because they were resistant to being involved in what they considered government programs. And, you know, that's always been a challenge for, uh, you know, organizations like MoFi. And now, because of the pandemic catastrophe, they were forced to reach out and they realized the experience is not a bad one. And actually, probably in almost every case, a very useful and helpful and business saving experience. And, you know, for you, that's advertising and, and promotion and, and uh, you know, recommendation of your work that, that you couldn't buy. Yeah, and, and even more importantly, you know, the, the loans we make are to businesses that can't get it from a, a bank. Most of the time they came to us like, oh my goodness, you're saving my, my business, you're, you're saving my family. Like this is how we make our living. And um, the banks themselves saw us in a different light because of the scale with which we were able to respond was unbelievable relative to the size of our company. And now they see us ever more as a really strong partner for them because there are always going to be people who can't get their capital from a bank, and there's always going to be MoFi there to help. Our guest, so, is, uh, let's do a quick idea. Our guest sure. is Steve Glazer. He's the president of MoFi. Um, our frequent guest, again, glad you're here. Arnie. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, 30 million people, even with the PPP program, are unemployed. 
in America, and there's only 5 million new jobs being created as best as most of us can determine. And you've, through the program, saved a lot of jobs. But if there's not a CARES Act two, what is your speculation at this point about how, you know, how long or how, um, you know, intrinsic does this saving, you know, become? Do these people now when, you know, the money's run out and did it really get a lot of business back on their feet to sustainability or has it gotten them back to the point where now they're, uh, they're, they're waiting for the next check and if they don't get it, they're going to have to do what they were going to do in, in May or June? So we can say without a doubt that the CARES Act saved a lot of businesses, helped a lot of people. And we can do that by looking at our microcosm of our portfolio and the businesses that were helped. After the PPP, you know, then the states started rolling out their programs that money came from CARES Act. And those programs, and I'll speak to Montana's, have been really helpful, um, helping businesses get a little bit longer runway to when things might get back to normal-ish. And I am certainly waiting with bated breath for a decision from DC on what the next round is gonna look like because I'm worried. I'm worried about the fall and the winter when you know normally in the Northern Rockies, we make hay in the summer and we live off the hay in the winter. And we didn't really make the hay that we normally do this summer. And so this is gonna be a hard winter. And so, um, yeah, so my my hope is that something comes out that can, help a lot, a lot of businesses through what will be a, a pretty hard winter, I think. Mm. Well, most businesses rely on consumers of some sort, customers. You know, we have 30 million unemployed customers, and they were kept afloat because of enhanced unemployment. I mean, you know, let's not forget that $260 billion was pumped into unemployment, and people were getting checks. Some people got maligned for taking this money. That's going to keep them from working, but I think that's just a fraudulent analysis to the situation. But you don't put these 30 million people back to work. They're not going to be out there, you know, going to restaurants or, or you know, spending money and businesses are going to have less customer base. You know, Montana wasn't as hard hit in the unemployment rate. I think the national unemployment rate is about 11.2. Montana is about 7.3. But still, that's a lot, you know, you know in, in, we're sitting in February of this year with an unemployment rate in Montana of 3.5, which is almost full employment. Yeah. You know, you know, and so, so my concern, you know, in looking at all this is it was needed. It helped keep businesses from going under. But what is the permanent underpinning at this point when you got so many people still unemployed, you know, for the, you know, for the mom and pop business, Amazon doesn't seem to be that affected or target or Walmart, but you know, the local main street business is going to have a hard time when a lot of their, their uh, brethren are not working. Yeah. You know, my view on what this economic and health and social crisis, I mean, we've gone through all three right. um, has laid bare in our country is that there are a whole lot of people who were barely getting by and they are really exposed right now. There are about 20% of the country 
when I'm speaking about businesses that seem to be doing very well. There was a, an opportunity in COVID, but a whole lot of businesses are on the edge. And so um, I certainly hope that we take a long view as a country and, and help at least a large proportion of those. Plenty of people will just decide, you know, I've, I'm tired, I don't wanna do this anymore, but there are plenty out there that wanna keep doing it. So. Well, it also has sort of a domino effect. You know, 30 million people are unemployed. They may not be able to assist their parents or their in-laws or their relatives like they used to. I mean, beside the fact that so many Americans live paycheck to paycheck and don't have many savings, most senior citizens in this country have no savings. They're living on Social Security and some, you know, extra income. The Social Security was never, you know, designed to be to keep you in the same lifestyle. You know, it was a safety net. I think we all know that when we, when uh, Theodore Roosevelt brought it in in the 30s uh, and they established the uh, uh, Social Security program and the retirement age was 65, it was because the average American lived to 66 and a half. They didn't have to fund for very long on the average. But now yeah. that's not the case anymore. And so, you know, you have, you have all of those things, and, and they all are interrelated. Um, and uh, it does, it has, and I agree with you, it has laid bare the fact that how fragile the economic underpinnings of our society here really, really is. Yeah, I mean, we spend our whole lives at MoFi making sure that people who've been left out of the financial mainstream have access to it eventually. Right? That's our job just keep making more and more people bankable. And, you know, one of the bright spots this year has been our down payment assistance because federal funds are so inexpensive. Um, I mean, I think by the end of this year, we will double the number of people that right. we provide down payment assistance, somewhere around 200 families, I think. Well, that's, and, very, that's very valuable because not everybody's a business owner. You know, most of the people coming in while they're saving jobs for their employees, you know, they're the they're the conduit, they're the focal point, it's their business. But the the down payment program helps individuals, whether they're business owners or not, whether they're employees, whether they're, uh, you know, workers. Not everybody's an entrepreneur, not everybody's a business owner. Some people are just straight up worker bees, and they need help as well. Yeah, and, you know, getting a home, it is the way that Americans save a nest, nest egg. And particularly in a place like Montana, where for the most part, it's a desirable place to live and property values consistently um, increase in value. So right. helping 200 families in one year buy a home um, means a lot to us. And my hope is that um, we'll be able to continue at that level. Right. And it's, a, you know, beside the fact of whether your real estate appreciates or not, and whether that's a good investment, putting that aside for a moment, people pay off their house loans. If they're in a house for 10 or 15 years, they have created equity. And even if the house value hasn't increased, if they need the money, they can get a second mortgage or they can sell the house and rent instead. It gives them, you know, some corpus to work with, yep. which, which most people don't have. You know, and I mean, what, it's shocking. And what we find are the people using down payment assistance from MoFi in Montana are teachers and firefighters and police officers, people who work in healthcare, and they often save money on a monthly basis by paying a mortgage instead of rent, because rent is so high. Right, right, and, and interest payments now are down 
down under 3% in many cases for loans. Yeah. Know, as compared to, you know, I can remember back when house, home mortgages were 12%. You know, so this is, it's almost for free at, at this point. Yeah. Dave, talk a little bit about the, pro, the process of when, when you welcome a new business into the MoFi family. How does that work after they've presented and you've evaluated their application? What's next? What's after that? So after we approve the loan, we, we close the loan, we provide the financing. One of the special things MoFi does is that all of our borrowers get love that comes with the loan. And that love comes in the form of if, if the business wants it or needs it, accounting assistance, marketing assistance, HR assistance, so that that business doesn't step in the mud for those first few years while they're either establishing or reestablishing cash flow and that way we can help them become bankable faster. So all that love comes from more than just you. Tell, tell us a little about your staff. What kind of organization are you running? Yeah, so MoFi, when you look across the staff, um, mostly there are people who, um, we have lots and lots of CPAs, um, accountants, and um, we have people who used to run their own businesses and so they feel and share the pain that the businesses that we finance have. Um, in fact, our director of lending, um, she's in our Bozeman office. She used to run her own business, restaurant. Uh, she was a consultant to restaurants to help them um, run a better operation. What's interesting is very few people who work at MoFi used to work in banking or finance. Dave, if you could, would you, you might want to think about having a uh, reality program. How you, you know, <laughs> what is it, Business Impossible? <laughs> yeah, Business right. Impossible, I love it. Yes. So are your people now uh, working from home or, or, or are the offices open with the people in place? Yeah, good question. So um, we are work from home. There is an option for our staff to work in the office if they need to or want to. And we have health screening that they have to do before going in, you know, take their temperature, wear a mask when they're in the office. It's relatively uncomfortable to work in the office in COVID world. And so most of our employees choose to work from home. Yeah. And um, that's across three states, four states. Well, that brings up an interesting point, which we've discussed with other guests, and it's a common theme. If you can do your job as effectively most of the time from a distance situation, working at home when COVID is over does it go back to the old way of operating or do you save the cost of all the brick and mortar and uh, have smaller offices and continue to allow people to operate this way I think every single business that owns real estate is thinking about that for sure you know one of the things we, we've talked about it we have yeah. a three beautiful offices that our staff love and for now we, we all want to go back and work in the office because we feed off one another's energy. I, I miss being around my colleagues every day. Mm -hmm. um, that said, you know, REI built themselves a brand new headquarters and sold it already without ever moving in. And yeah. so we see that and, and, you know, plenty of businesses may choose to um, not go the route that, that we've chosen. And that is we, we ultimately do want to work together. We've had right. people apply for jobs at MoFi who live all over the country. And unless they're eventually willing to move to one of our, near one of our offices, 
we're not interested because um, much of our mojo comes from being around yeah. one another. I personally think that what, what will happen, assuming we get COVID under control, there's a vaccine and there's not a second wave or third wave, we get back to some new, new, you know, close to normal way of life. I think what you'll have is people want the collegial chemistry that's necessary because the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I think you would, you would agree with that. But some of the costs associated with traveling for a meeting, you know, I, I've in much of my career, I'm sure as in yours, you, I, I've been on a plane flying somewhere. I'm, I'm going, I'm going all the way there for a half an hour meeting. It's nice. I see him in person and I go out to dinner. I get to stay in a hotel, but I could have done this on a phone call. Yeah. Really? You know, and I think that's what, what may be the permanent effect that people are going to rethink and look at their travel budgets and say, we're spending 12% of our, you know, our, our operation on travel and hotels and meal. You know, we can do a lot more of that, you know, in, in house. Absolutely. We are thinking that, Yeah. you know, much of my time, about half of my time was spent previously out on the road, making relationships. And now we're doing that this way. Over you can room. still do it, you know, you, but you might not be able to do it less. I just was on my first virtual cocktail party. I'm on the board. I'm on the board of uh, an organization, and they missed the, you know, because when we used to go for meetings, which we haven't had for a year, we would come in the day before and have a dinner, all of us together, the board members, together, and you know, we discuss, you know, you network, you do what you do, you, you, and we haven't done that for years. So we had a virtual cocktail party, and actually was pretty close to a real cocktail party, you know, in terms of talking about personal stuff. There wasn't an agenda, you know, everybody was, you know, making jokes and doing, and it, 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 it wasn't a hundred percent, but it was pretty close. It's pretty close to the real experience. That's a good idea. I might use that on the cardboard. <laughs> I like that, Arnie. Thanks. Yeah, it worked out. I was skeptical. I was at a cocktail party, you know, a virtual cocktail party. What are you going to have? You can't, COVID put your cocktail. Hands on shoulder. you can't put your hands on someone's shoulder and say, this is my good friend over here. Right. <laughs> yeah, I can reach over to you, but we're not. But I, but I not, think we're not you, you bring up a great point, which is, does business become, without this, this level of interaction and face-to-face -face kind of, um, you know, networking, does, do, do businesses become far more transaction-oriented versus relationship-oriented, meaning price and depth of product and, you know, it uh, becomes more important and than, oh, I'm buying from Bob because Bob's my bud and Bob and I golf together. So, well, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think about it in the context of people who are new in their careers. Right. I have established career. I have relationships all over the place. People who know me, the two of you, we've known each other for years. And so we can quickly both talk about business and be personal at the same time in, a, in, a, in an environment like this. But people who are new in their careers don't have that established group and how much harder it will be to create relationships. And, you know, I'm an old man basically now. So uh, maybe I, I'm not thinking about this correctly, but it seems like it'll be harder. Well, here's the thing that I think. As a, as a globalist, as a person that's worked in 100 countries around the world, the U.S. has always been more transactional than almost anywhere else. You know, 
we make some of the largest purchases we ever make in our life. Like buy a house. You walk into a real estate office in a new town. You walk up to somebody who's the, the desk agent and say, I'm looking for a house. And you buy, you spend a half a million dollars with somebody you just met five minutes ago. That doesn't happen in a lot of the world. You know, right. most of the world is based on relationship. I think places like Asia and South America where relationship trumps transaction will have a hard time adjusting to this, you know, because it's not, oh, I'm going to introduce you to my cousin's brother who will help you do that. Right. Or, yeah. And, and that's, they'll have to recreate, they'll have to create some of that. And I think you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about it. That's a really a, a very insightful uh, point, Dave, about new people that don't have a Rolodex, as we used to call it, don't have the, the friends to call, don't have, you know, they don't have two degrees of separation to get a question answered or to make an introduction. How are they going to build that? That, that? that only happens through personal interaction. And so what I think, what I think will happen is our networks are going to shrink to people in our immediate surroundings and we'll rely on them to then do secondary introductions. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I get uh, something on LinkedIn from somebody I don't know out of nowhere and I don't even bother responding because there's no connectivity whatsoever. But you know, Arnie, if you said, Hey, listen, my friend here wants to talk to you, Dave, about this product they might have. Well, then I'm going to listen, right? Cause Right. You know me, you know, hey, Dave might actually be interested in that. So yeah. I think like the reliance on LinkedIn, the reliance on Facebook to create those connections for people, with people, and then for your secondary network is super is important. I look at my son, who's 24, who they're displaced, they're working out of a home, but I look at his social media posts. It's all about longing for that time from two years ago when they share memories of when they were out hanging together and golfing together and whatever they were doing. And you know, they're not <laughs> doing it right now. Right. Um, and so it, it's interesting. It's like saying, Hey Scott, remember two years ago when we zoomed each other? <laughs> that doesn't really, doesn't take the place of a fishing trip or a, or a, you know, an no. experience in, a, in an, another city. I try as much as possible to have, at least phone conversations, if not Zoom conversations, with my friends and colleagues. More, more with my colleagues that I, you know, that aren't my inner network of best friends and relatives, but people that that I used to, you know, interact per, in person with on, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, yeah. Because you lose touch, and all of a sudden you haven't talked to them in two years. Right? And, and you know, just before we got on this call together, I was emailing back and forth with a lender in um, Wyoming, Casper. And back and forth. And finally, I just stopped. I was like, this is dumb. I just picked up the phone and I called her. Right. Because yeah. even over the phone, there's so much more connectivity. Like, stop the madness of emailing back and forth or texting back and forth. Just talk to somebody. Yeah. I mean, there is, you talk about being, you know, an old hand. I mean, I talk to my nieces and nephews, and I'm, I'm sure you have this, Scott, with your sons. Used to, nobody writes letters anymore for sure. You know, people right. don't even call very much. No email. It's it's really a, a world text, you know, and social media. Right. I mean, I can send. I I have my I have some of my younger niece and nephew who in their twenties their email addresses, but if I email them, they never respond. I have to text them. 
You know, and that really has changed the nature. I remember, you know, early in my career, you have to write a letter. You would have a, you know, type a letter and mail the letter. That doesn't exist anymore. You know, it was interesting during COVID, at the height of COVID, actually, when we were madly making PPP loans, uh, an immigrant who lives in Twin Falls, Idaho, he has businesses there, and he figured out who MoFi was and called us and talked to us. And then, you know, about over the next three weeks, we had 25 other immigrants in Twin Falls apply for PPP loans. And it, that network was, you know, hardwired already. They knew right. each other. And having that one person, though, realize, hey, here's a solution. I'm going to tell my whole community about it. Um, it was an inspiring moment for us to realize, hey, we might be able to help in a different way. Right. right. Say, let's take a quick break. Um, our guest is Dave Glazer. He's the president of MoFi. We will be back right after these words. This is with our guest, Dave Glazer. Dave, you know, we can go on like this forever because we just have a natural rapport and all, all three of us. But for our listeners who have heard about the program are now convinced that, uh, you know, they need to talk to you and reach out to you and find out more about MoFi. How do they get a hold of you? And then can you just do a recapitulation of, of what is available when they do get a hold of you? Yeah, you bet. Um, so MoFi is a, a lender. We make loans to people who are just outside of what banks or the financial mainstream can provide, and we do it in three main ways, with down payment assistance for Montanans, working Montanans. We do it with um, small business loans, and then we do it with large-scale economic development projects uh, across the Northern Rockies. And um, the easiest way to get a hold of us is actually just to go to our website, mofi.org. Um, you can actually apply for many of our loans right online, and um, you're always welcome to call us at 728-9234. That's area code 406-728-9234. And that's a nice thing. We like the phone. We just described the fact that how much we enjoy speaking to people over Yeah, the that's phone. exactly why I actually said the phone number, because people should call. Give us that phone number one more time. 406-728-9234. Our lines are open all the time, 24-7. <laughs> call us. Dave, Dave, it's been a pleasure talking with you and catching up as always. You as well. I really enjoyed it. Thank you both. Thank you, Dave. Arnie, I will see you next week. Next week, Scott. Take care. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. My name is Corporal.